ITR has more friends than ever before. We've partnered with tons of local businesses to bring you great discounts in the communities where you live, work, and play. Maybe Main Street is your main drag. Present your friends of CITR card at Red Cat Records, Lucky's Comics, Devil May Wear, Thriller, Blim, Hotbox, The Kiss Store, Slickety Jim's Chat and Chew, The Wallflower Modern Diner, RX Comics, Antisocial Skateboard Shop, The Whip Gallery Restaurant, Vinyl Records, Regional Assembly of Text, and Twig and Hottie to receive fabulous discounts. So become a CITR member, get a free friends card, and feel the love. Hello everyone out there. Happy Wednesday, October 28th. It's a spooktacular Wednesday before Halloween and my name is Tracy Fuller and this is the Arts Report for Wednesday, October 28th, 2009. As per usual, I have a fantastic show lined up for you. I've talked to the director of the new Evil Dead the Musical show, which is on at the Vogue Theatre downtown. I've also touched base with uh, Ryan... Oh, what's his name? Ryan Gladstone, who's doing the Here Be Monsters show on Granville Island this weekend. We've got a review of Fuse at the Vancouver Art Gallery. We have um, a cop uh, review of Provincial Essays, which was on at the Colch. But right now you're listening to Fantastic Pro Nails. They were last night's winner at Shindig. That's in Shindig number seven, CITR's regular Battle of the Bands, which happens every Tuesday night at the Railway Club. This track is called Victim 2.0, which seems particularly uh, apt for this holiday Halloween season. So I'm going to let you listen to the last minute of this track, and then I'm going to jump right in. And hopefully Brenda Gruno, our station manager, will be joining me here in studio. So here's more of Pro Nails Victim 2.0 on CITR 101.9 FM. Well, that was quite dramatic now, wasn't it? <laughs> that was Pro Nails. They were the winner of last night's Shindig Battle of the Bands competition at the Railway, the Railway Club. Shindig is continuing on right through until Christmas time, until December at least. So uh, head on out there every Tuesday night and catch some of the hot new bands that are heading on the scene. Right now, I'm welcoming into the studio Brenda Gruno. She is our uh, fantastic station manager. And last Saturday night, I sent her down to the Chan Center to check out the amazing Bella Fleck, Zakir Hussein, and who's the last? Edgar Meyer, am I forgetting? Brenda is here now in studio. Brenda, welcome. Thank you, Tracy. 
So uh, I'm right. That's Edgar Meyer and Zakir Hussein and Bella Fleck you saw last Saturday. Exactly. They were fantastic. <laughs> I would highly recommend to anyone, if you ever have a chance to see these three musicians, they're among the top players in the world, and their musicianship is is uh, close to perfection. So, I mean, for those people who haven't heard these three people, um, Bella Fleck is on the banjo, Zakir Hussain is on the tablas, and then Edgar Meyer plays the upright bass. It's not really your uh, typical trio, you would imagine, getting up on stage. How do the sounds or the instruments work together? It actually worked quite well. I was I was kind of skeptical, um, skeptical about uh, people who are always excited about fusion and how they think it's always going to be such a great idea, and uh, whereas sometimes it's just polluting every genre possible. Uh, but um, it actually worked really, really well. Bela Fleck and Edgar Meyer are really capable. Uh, composers as well that do a lot of really interesting crossover stuff mm -hmm. and then the tablas were less um, less cultural specific and more just percussive mm. percussive expressive percussion that mm. sort of fit and and really tied the whole thing together so it was fantastic hmm. I've been watching some of the clips on YouTube of their concerts they've been going all over the US and Canada performing together um, and some of their performances they seem to talk out to the audience was there interaction like that between the uh, musicians and the audience at the Chan on Saturday uh, yeah, there was some. Um, they did little intros, but they didn't talk a lot. Uh, Edgar Meyer has a really dry sense of humor, mm. so uh, there was a lot of laughing. Uh, they're really just sort of normal guys wearing, you know, like plain kind of shirts doing their thing, so they would tease each other on stage and right. stuff like that. One of the uh, pieces Bela Fleck uh, introduced as... God, I love the banjo. <laughs> and then uh, halfway through the concert, Zakir said uh, that this piece was was named uh, Why Don't I Play the Tablas? <laughs> Fantastic. Lots of uh, repartee back and forth. Yeah, and something cool, too, uh, the Chan Center had a little special thing for their donors ahead mm -hmm. of time that we were able to uh, sit in on, and they had uh, Vikram Vidge, the, the chef from Vidge's, um, off Granville, uh, one of the best Indian restaurants in town, and he did a little demonstration and, and a little chat with the uh, musicians about mm -hmm. the combination of spices and how that's similar to the, the combination of instruments. Mm -hmm. So that was really tasty. Hmm. I was, I, I mean, did they talk at all about how the three of them got together? I mean, obviously they're all accomplished musicians. They all have followings in their own right of their own uh, individual music and compositions. But how did the three of them get together or what prompted this tour of the three of them? I actually can't answer that question. Hmm. I know Bela Fleck and Edgar Meyer have done stuff even 10, 15 years ago. So they've hmm. toured before and composed um, probably sort of stuff a bit more bluegrass and traditional, mm -hmm. um, even though sort of Bella's sort of uh, moved on to a whole bunch of other crossover stuff with with uh, Chick Corea and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And Edgar Meyer's done stuff with new music festivals and, mm -hmm. and orchestras. They actually uh, talked about how the three of them composed... Uh, some of the stuff they performed was actually composed for the three of them and orchestra. Mm. So, but obviously orchestras are too expensive to tour along. So they yeah. they uh, transformed those pieces into uh, pieces for the three of them, hmm. and actually commented that when they wrote those, 
those pieces, they'd actually put a lot of the interesting parts in for the orchestra so that the orchestra would like them <laughs> and uh, commented that they really shouldn't have given all that good stuff to the orchestra instead of to them. So they, they said they were uh, happy to reappropriate mm. some of the interesting bits so that they could play them and show, show them off. Well, I guess when you are playing with an orchestra, you have to kind of share the love around. That's the whole point of playing with so many different instruments is to have different voices highlighting the different themes and the different uh, variations that go on. I I imagine as much as it's enjoyable to go out and see uh, single soloists playing with orchestra, I think it's, uh, well, personally, I enjoy orchestras that are composed with the entire ensemble in mind, rather than just orchestra and tabla or orchestra and banjo, let's say. Definitely, definitely. And, and when I played with an orchestra or two myself, you know, you'd be really quite bored playing your, like, two notes everywhere, just sort of echoing things. <laughs> so it's, it's good for the orchestra to get some meat in a concerto as well. Right. I guess my last question is, what was the audience like? I mean, I the the evening, if you were to have to attended the whole evening as you did, started off with some food and some uh, f- uh, spice preparation and then into the great huge Chan Center, which is a space that's been used for opera, symphony, many number of things, the, the CBC Massey Lectures. But, and... And all these three musicians have very different audiences. Um, who was there that on Saturday night? Um, it was a mix. There was a there was a, a few saris mm-hmm. in the crowd and some general concert goers. Uh, there was a fair number of young people, mm-hmm. quite a lot, and you know some scruffy beards and, and hoodies, zip up hoodies. So it, it really was a mix. It was a vibrant crew, and uh, I happened to be in the same row as Steve Edge from hmm. the Saturday Edge on Saturday mornings, the folk show, and Paul Norton Whoa. from Code Blue. So uh, <laughs> my media compatriots mm-hmm. were, were right next door. CITR was representing that evening. Exactly. Oh. Sounds like a great event. Um, I have actually downloaded some of the music from one of the previous tours. This track I'm going to play is called Melody of Rhythm, and it's featuring Bella and Zakir and Edgar all together. Brenda, thank you so much for checking it out and coming onto the show to tell us about it. No problem. Thanks, Tracy. No problem. All right, so this is Melody of Rhythm with Bella Fleck, Zakir Hussain, and Edgar Meyer on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. It was a, a triple concerto for the Nashville Symphony that we wrote as a trio, and then we made a recording of it that just came out. It's called The Melody of Rhythm, and um, half of the CD is uh, this concerto with the orchestra and the three of us down front, and the rest of it is this trio music that we're playing for you today. So this is the first time we've got a chance to play it in public, and we're glad you're here. This is a tune called Cadence.
home from school look quite content with life. And why not? They're looking forward to an important date, dinner at home with the family. What's the matter? Doesn't that sound exciting to you? Luckily, UBC students have lots of on-campus dining options. The Pendulum Restaurant, your source for fresh dishes made in-house. The Pendulum boasts a large selection of vegan dishes, a comfortable atmosphere, and tasty breakfasts. On sunny days, you can also enjoy the licensed patio. Conveniently located next to the pit, the Pendulum is open seven days a week. This business is owned and operated by the AMS, your student society. Welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm Tracy Fuller. Now, last Thursday, way downtown on the Granville Strip at the Vogue Theatre, Evil Dead the Musical opened up. It was a huge event. Line up down the street. You would imagine that there was some hardcore band playing, but no, no. Evil Dead, yes, that Sam Raimi film from 1981 has hit the stage, but this time with... Musical tunes, the box step, we've got Flying Blood. Yet, for those of you who don't remember, here's a, a little taste of the 1981 Evil Dead trailer. Dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. Yes, so... Evil Dead was the original series, then Evil Dead 2, Dawn, Dead by Dawn, and Army of Darkness, the third Evil Dead component. Yes, yes. We all remember those uh, horrific sounds of the early uh, 80s horror flicks. Well, yes, now uh, we have turned it all into a fun-loving musical where the sounds you're hearing are more along this line. Yeah, we'll just say that it's it's changed a little bit from its uh, original concept. But I was lucky enough to be able to speak with the director of this new version. His name is um, Kevin oh, McCormick. Kevin McCormick, and he's uh, based out of Calgary. And this production was originally in Calgary, but it was so successful there that uh, they drew it all the way out here onto the West Coast in Vancouver. It opened up last Thursday, and it has already been extended to November 14th. So for those of you who are interested in getting out and sitting in the splatter zone where you actually have blood rain down on you, you still have an opportunity. But here, earlier this week, I was able to speak with Kevin McCormick in Calgary, and this is our conversation. Hey, so uh, reading through the program and reading some background on the history of Evil Dead the musical and your involvement with it, I understand that only two years ago you knew little to nothing about Evil Dead, the, uh, the whole escapade and trilogy so um and yet now you're at the helm of canada's sort of western premiere production so how did you end up where you are now yeah it's uh, one of those funny and serendipitous stories uh um the producers of uh 
of Evil Dead, Ryan Looney and Joel Cochran and I were in Toronto and we were, you know, on our way to see a baseball game and then uh, we noticed that the Diesel Playhouse, or Ryan noticed that the Diesel Playhouse that um, Evil Dead was playing and insisted that we go see it, so we did and as soon as I was in that theater and, uh, and realized just how special the relationship was between the actors on stage and the audience, I knew that we had to do the show in Calgary. And uh, yeah. then we spent the next uh, year and a half, you know, working out those details and we're lucky enough to put it up on its feet in Calgary last summer and open it in Vancouver last week. Right. And I understand that, um, that the, the version that you guys have put together is somewhat different from the one that you guys originally saw in Toronto. Can you explain how, that, how it's different? Yeah, well, it goes back to your first question, Tracy, that uh, not having known anything about Evil Dead, I, I immediately went and watched uh, all three of the movies and then spoke with people who were just absolute, uh, you know, Evil Dead fanatics to, uh, to kind of draw out from them what was important uh, about that and, and why they had this, you know, this uh, fanatical relationship with the subject matter. And so I realized, you know, how important the story was, and while there were tons of jokes and you know the music is great fun we wanted to concentrate as much as possible on telling that story telling that story of ash the hero in this terrible uh, dilemma and uh, and how he eventually solves it and if we could focus on the story that the the jokes and the fun and uh, and all the wildness would take care of itself right i mean so i guess how did you go about turning this very serious very gory 1981 movie into, I, obviously the Toronto production laid a groundwork, but creating a musical that has spurting blood out of the stage and uh, show tunes, so to speak, right. out of uh, um, a very different feeling original movie, what was, how do you go about making that transition yet keeping the essence of what everyone has fallen in love with? Well, you know, essentially the Evil Dead the Musical is a parody and a spoof of, uh, of the, uh, the three movies, Evil Dead 1, Evil Dead 2, and, Ar and Army of Darkness. Mm -hmm. So what we wanted to do was retain what we felt were the, the key plot elements so that people who didn't know anything about Evil Dead could come and see it and, and enjoy it just as, uh, as a story that stands on its own two feet. Mm -hmm. And then we wanted to explore the kind of um, uh, mystical elements uh, that, uh, that we noticed in the movies. For example, there's, there's this kind of uh, uh, an, uh, elk head that sits on, on the wall in the movies, but in our production, it's a, it's a moose that actually sings and talks and represents the Kandarian world. So right. you know, we, we tried to draw elements from those movies and find a way of staging them in a coherent way that would allow us to tell a, a story over the course of two hours. Mm -hmm. And it does, it does feel, after seeing the production, it does feel as though you draw from a lot of um, the standard uh, scary movie genre themes and, yeah. and ideas so that audience members that aren't necessarily Evil Dead followers can yeah. really uh, laugh along with so many of the jokes and the tropes that are, that are represented. That's a really important point, Tracy, that, uh, you know, we wanted people to kind of get the, the thrill of attending, um, you know, kind of a, um, a horror um, production, although it's, it's definitely tongue-in-cheek. But, you know, the, Ash does cut off his hand, and there's blood spurting from the stump of his hand, and people are dragged to their death and destroyed by deadites. So, I mean, there is a serious plot going on, mm -hmm. just like in the movies, although there's a somewhat campy and uh, tongue-in-cheek approach. Uh, taken to that. You know, we wanted to create scenes where the audience is actually scared at times the way they are when they sit in the um, in a movie theater or at another mystery play and, 
and wonder what's going to happen next and who's going to pop out through the door or you know what uh, what's going to happen to the um, the characters that are trapped in that situation and mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that's that's an important part of the telling of the story and and why Sam Raimi's movies were important in their day because they were trying to take that horror genre in a different direction um, because it, it had kind of languished in the Friday the 13th uh, uh, area and those movies kind of moved it forward. Definitely. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I wonder your role as a director to to find that balance to be able to bring the the humor as well as the horror to the stage. I'm I'm sure that that was sort of a fine balance for you as well, having to deal with the physical, very physical aspects of the production, and the more nuanced and actorly, let's say, um, elements. How did you go about making finding that balance? Well, that uh, that is the the very particular challenge for for this production. I believe, and uh, like I have a background in in physical theater and in mime before I came to uh, to directing about 15 years ago. So so that certainly helped me in terms of making sure that we had the right kind of dynamics on stage, so that if you had a stage fight happening, even if it was kind of jokey, that the right dynamics were present. And uh, and when Ash has his hand fight, you know, we spent two hours or so just blocking that hand fight mm. so that uh, Tyler could do it uh, in a comfortable and uh, yet uh, kind of realistic way. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the challenge for the actors, just in, just in a tr- uh, regular play that, uh, that we would approach, was that um, we didn't want them to be commenting on what was happening on stage, mm-hmm. that we wanted them to try and stay in the situation and allow the audience to laugh at them rather than them wink- winking at the audience and saying, you know, how, how funny is this and uh, isn't this a silly line that I'm saying, which is what we noticed in the Toronto production mm-hmm. and felt was less interesting to us in terms of putting on a play. Hmm. Well, I'm wondering, I, I mean, did you ever feel that the, that the very um, physical nature of the blood shooting out in the audience or raining down as it happens to be in the Vancouver setting, I mean, does that ever distract from the message that you're trying to come to bring across? Or, or I, I just, I, I find that there's probably lots of people who come to the theater just to see that blood to get that that poncho and to experience what it is like to to have blood spattering on you during the performance and i'm wondering whether or not there was ever any question as to how much blood or whether you should rein back perhaps that aspect of the production yeah controlling the the blood flow in the show is is really important um you know, for obvious reasons, because we don't want the audience to get so distracted by the the, the blood elements, the dead eye spurting blood or the blood exploding out of the walls and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. that uh, that they lost sight of the story. So whenever there are blood effects happening in the theater, we, we've tried to ensure that story is being moved forward on stage so that, uh, you know, even in the fight where... Um, Ash is taking down all the deadites, that that story is progressing to a logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. And then we were quite, um, quite circumspect about making sure that we shifted the audience's focus to where we wanted them to look rather than them just having a free-for-all. And, you know, there's a moment where the deadites go into the audience and attack the splatter zone. And we, we knew that that, that was going to be a free-for-all, so we just kind of let that moment stand on its own for two or three minutes and then got back to telling the story. Right. But we really do try and control the audience's focus, both with light, sound, and what's going on on stage, so that that uh, that attention is being paid to the story going forward. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, it's been an amazing success both here and on Broadway in Calgary and in Toronto. I'm wondering whether or not you and the production team sees perhaps the, a sequel to this production coming up maybe in the future. That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, we, we've been a bit overwhelmed by the success of Evil Dead. We, you know, we had no t uh, plans of touring it uh, after Calgary, but it did so well here. And then um, Henry Kalenko and the, the gang at Keystone from Vancouver saw it and said, you know, you have to bring the show here. And now we're starting to get some inquiries for Evil Dead for some other places, including south of the border. So we really? kind of have to work out, you know, how would we do that? How would the show tour? Could we manage it? Because we're a rather small company here mm -hmm. in Calgary. Um, but then at the same time, you know, it's uh, Ground Zero Theater and Hit and Myth Productions are uh, small, small companies that tend to think big, and we're, you know, paying attention to what's going on uh, out there as well. I think there's a musical based on the Texas Chainsaw Massacres playing in Los Angeles, and I thought, really? man, like, we have got to go see that musical, <laughs> because uh, there could be something there, and it might not be a sequel to known as Evil Dead per se, but uh, something in the same horror genre might be uh, might be a lot of fun. Because as you know, Tracy, it's like vampires and zombies. I mean, they're so popular right now. It's, uh, I was just going to ask, what do you think is behind all of this? That there is such a mania for dark and, uh, and uh, ha very Halloween, fittingly enough, um, based characters and, and shows and movies. And what's, what, what's behind this, do you think? You know, I'm, I'm no psychologist, but um, some of the, the things I've been reading tend to point to, um, like, like, why are these movies that were made 20 years ago so popular again? I mean, because they have connected with, uh, you know, a, a generation that's 20 years younger than me. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it has something to do with, um, you know, the perception that society is becoming zombified, that we just kind of you know, go through life doing what we're told. You know, you want you want to take $20 out of your bank account, it'll cost you $1.75, and we just do it. Yeah. We don't even think about it. And, and I was hearing uh, this guy talk about um, being on a zombie walk and how people would walk past him and not even make eye contact as if he wasn't there and he was saying, who's the real zombie in this situation? Really? You know, is it me dressed up in zombie makeup, or is it the person beside pretending that they're not even seeing what's going on in their own lives. Well, that's a good question. I think many of us are becoming automatons in our yeah. lives and not necessarily paying much attention to beyond that which is beyond our immediate sphere. Yeah, and maybe it's a, it's a way for, you know, average citizens to kind of thumb their nose at that... Uh, at that whole, um, at, at the world that they perceive going on around them where they don't seem to have any control, they don't seem to have any influence. And uh, so if, if you're going to treat us like zombies, we're actually going to dress up like zombies and act like zombies. Might as well. <laughs> well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today, and uh, congratulations on another excellent production. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure. Best of luck in the, in the future, and we hope to see uh, many more of the Ground Zero productions coming all the way from Calgary to Vancouver. Thanks, Tracy. That was the director of Evil Dead the Musical, which is playing now at the Vogue Theatre. That's 918 Granville Street. Kevin McCormick is one of the directors of Ground Zero Theatre, which is based out of Calgary. And uh, the production of Evil Dead the Musical is running until November 14th. Buy your tickets now, or else you may not be able to see it. And if you do go, you can request seats in the splatter zone, which means you will have blood and gore and guts rain down on you and out on you during the performance. It's You'll never see another show like it. I, I almost get I almost guarantee.
All right, but in that vein, um, this weekend at the Van City Theatre, they're having a special film festival called Vampire Weekend. It's running from Friday, October 30th to November 1st, and it's featuring a bunch of awesome older films, cult films, vampire films like Let the Right One In, Near Dark, Vampire's Kiss, The Hunger, um, Habit, Martin... Uh, Ghana and Hess, London After Midnight, and I have two fantastic passes to this entire weekend. Now, the pass will let you into all of the movies, but it does not include membership to the Van City Theatre, so you'll have to cough up two bucks each to get in. But once you get in, you can attend all the screenings all weekend long, running from 6.30 on Friday until midnight, Saturday 4.30 until midnight, and Sunday uh, 4.30 until about 9 p.m. There's movies running each night for this Vampire Weekend, and if you want that pass, it's for two people. Give me a call here at CITR. The number is 604-822-2487. That's 604-822-2487 for two tickets to Vampire Weekend this weekend at the Van City Theater. And while I'm waiting for someone to call in for those passes, I'm going to hit you with some Young Galaxy. They're playing tonight at the Biltmore Cabaret alongside Ben Sinister. So here is Young Galaxy with their track, Destroyer.
love that song. That was Destroyer by Young Galaxy. They're playing tonight at the Biltmore Cabaret alongside Ben Sinister. And last time I checked, you could still get tickets, and they were only $12. So uh, if you have nothing better to do tonight, I would head on down to the Biltmore Cabaret. It's undoubtedly going to be a fabulous show. All right, so before I move on with more of my show, I want to send a big shout out to Quentin Graham, who won the passes to Vampire Weekend at the Van City Theater. He's going to have an awesome, awesome time. There are some amazing films going on. So uh, happy Halloween, Quentin, and happy Halloween to all of you out there. And I hope you're all dressing up something fun. Um, I'm going myself as um, I Love Lucy. I've got my uh, polka dot dress. I'm dyeing my hair a nice, big, bright red and and. Uh, going to strap on some heels and have some fun. I know many people are going as the swine flu, which I believe is going to be the big hit. Uh, last year it was Sarah Palin. So uh, I hope you're all coming up with fantastic costumes out there and you're going to get out and have some fun this Saturday night on Halloween. All right. So last Friday at the Vancouver Art Gallery was Fuse, the quarter annual festival, which happens late into the night at the Art Gallery. There's a bunch of shows on right now at the Art Gallery, including Scott McFarlane's new show, which features a mix of um, cut-and-paste photography. There's Owen Kidd. There are American and Canadian landscape paintings, uh, sketches from the Group of Seven, uh, Stan Douglas, Emily Carr, and Jack Shadbolt, Old Zhang. There's a number of shows on right now, and uh, I had two of my arts contributors head out to the art gallery this past week. First, Guillaume Clement went out to look specifically at Scott McFarland's new show. He brought back a fantastic review, and following that, I'm, you're going to hear from my dance critic, Melanie Cooksdorf, and my fantastic film critic, Zach. Rothman, and they're going to be talking about the Fuse event, which they attended last Friday. So starting off, this is Guillaume Clement with a review of Scott McFarland's show at the Ontario, uh, Vancouver Art Gallery. Excuse me. Enjoy. First floor, second floor, third floor, and here I am. Scott McFarland's first solo exhibition in the Vancouver Art Gallery. In front of me, two huge photos showing a beautiful landscape of a botanical garden or maybe a public park. It's warm and has flashy colors. Several characters, like two girls chatting, horses and other animals. And everything looking as, as if each person has been pasted on the pictures. Yeah, if it doesn't look quite real. It's like a landscape created in order to reflect an imaginary, colorful reality. It will be pretty much the same for each one of the few 80 pictures exposed in the VAG. McFarlane shoots a situation, objects and moment, and then transforms them. He makes the grass greener, put this man here instead of there, or even change the shaping of the clouds in the sky. I found personally this too much really interesting. His way of uh, melting the sun same landscape at different times and so on. And by doing so, he manages to intrigue the viewer, to make him question his photos. It's quite like a trompe l'oeil when you wonder what is true and what is not. So aesthetically, there is uh, nothing to say. McFarland makes a beautiful job and according to me, it reaches its climax uh, with the two both home in with moonlight. To discover these two masterpieces, you enter a dark room, you sit on a couch and... 
faces it. You are drawn into a deep Canadian forest. Only a light shines from a little house in the woods, just where you can only distinguish a man. And this is an emblematic picture where the technique used by the artist really makes us think about the frontier between photo and painting. So now let's get out of this wood and pass to the next floor. Still some pictures, portraits of cactus, very designed penguin pool, or a huge picture of a tribe of porky pigs in a sort of zoo, watching people staring at them. Really worth the detour. Well, now I arrive on the fourth floor, and here we can find several versions of McFarland's pictures of London Hampstead Park, and his particular work on the declination in the sky. The march mostly inspired by uh, the landscape of the 19th century English painter uh, John Constable. Walk around, give a look or two, and then it occurs to me that this is it. It's done. I'm at the end of this little trip. It was very pleasant, even though I have to confess, I have not been incredibly excited or conquered. Despite his undeniable talent, Scott McFarlane didn't really manage to make me dive into his heart. Maybe because uh, despite the aesthetic beauty, I recognize I have not been able to deceive what was his real thoughts, why he was showing us this uh, situation, what they were trying to tell me and to tell the world. Well, maybe you will find out because in spite of this, I warmly encourage you to see Scott McFarland's art. It's at the Vancouver Art Gallery until the 3rd of January and you could really enjoy it. <laughs> this is the hiccup version of review. <laughs> Good afternoon, I'm Zachary Rothman. And I'm Melanie Hookstorf. And I have the hiccups. That's right. It's, it's the hiccup edition. It's the hiccup edition here at CITR. So, this past weekend, we went to Fuse. Aside from a pretty good place to have a few drinks on a weekend night, Fuse is a celebration of art. It happens uh, four times a year when the art gallery opens up its doors after hours to a night of revelry, song, dance, performance, and, of course, art exhibits. Art exhibits, yes. Uh, sorry, I thought I saw a hiccup coming on there. <laughs> so, Melanie and I headed down to Fuse this weekend to check it out. And what did you think, Melanie? Well, it was, I think it was my third Fuse. And for the ticket price, I don't think they give you quite as much as you kind of hope for. Although you do have the run of the art gallery and it's it's kind of fun. There's a huge throng of people... I keep thinking I'm going to hiccup. Nothing like uh, doing a radio broadcast to stop the hiccups. I think that's the new cure, folks. But they did, of course, since it's almost Halloween, they did Thriller. And uh, might I just say that if you're going to do a dance performance, you might want to hire some dancers. <laughs> uh, so, uh, or at least, you know, people have seen Thriller a million times. Let's mix it up a little bit, like... So it's Thriller at the Art Gallery. Big whoop. Yeah, that's right. I wouldn't go so far as to say everybody that did the performance should be shot, but they should go home and practice. And they were put to shame by a fantastic dance performance. UBC Girls. It was Thriller versus Diwali, some people called it. And really, the living Indian lady, South Asian representing girls from UBC, I guess, really put the undead to shame. 
Yeah, they did with real blood coursing through their veins and, uh, you know, sense of balance and training. Let's just say that the dancing was awesome. People were jumping around and the place was packed and it was in the rotunda. So people were watching from different floors and it was really cool. And then people disperse and check out Gwendolyn blows up her head. Yes, Gwendolyn Robin. You know, I didn't actually get to catch this one. It was a little bit earlier in the night before eight o'clock and... I heard that she let her ankles smoke a little bit with some sort of explosive thing, walked around for a bit, and then walked away, and her head didn't blow up. So what's the deal, Gwendolyn? If, uh, let us know if you're listening. What was supposed to happen, and why did you actually not blow up your head? Sounded a little disappointing. The evening also featured mecha-normal exit music on the second floor. It was It was like a good slash bad acid trip through the 70s. It was like visiting Jefferson Airplane in the prime slash downfall of their career. It was fabulous and horrible and it was really worth seeing. A singer and a guitarist and that was it. Speaking of artwork, we had Expanding Horizons uh, landscape paintings from mostly the early 20th century, late 19th century. A real mixed bag of Canadian landscapes and other landscapes Arctic, wooded, lumber camps. I didn't see any Arctic. Oh, I did. You're making that part up. Lots I did not. I saw an iceberg. Waterfalls uh, and cliffs. Which is not technically Arctic, necessarily. <laughs> but it was. Romantic paintings. Big giant ones with big gold frames. I really like the frames. And my favorite portrait of the night was actually somebody standing in front of one of these amazing giant landscape paintings, uh, you know, big enough for the side of a bus texting on his cell phone oblivious to the painting that was in front of him it was it was beautiful maybe my loveliest image of the night moving on to the second and third floor we had a stan douglas exhibit emily carr jack shadbolt scott mcfarland owen kidd sketches and paintings by the group of seven on the fourth floor but really the night was special because you get to drink and run around and play and look at art and it's you fun. You only get to drink in one room though, let's be clear. That's true, no, but if you're no, like me, you can carry a beer around without security seeing you. I didn't see that. I, I didn't see that. And she doesn't work for security. What, why you're pointing the microphone at me? You're still waiting for a hiccup. I can feel it. <laughs> the most important thing about our night at Fuse is that talking about it cures the hiccups. And that is, if anything, a testament to the power of art itself. My hiccups are gone. They were they were there and now they're gone. Thank you, Fuse. Thanks, Fuse. For CITR, I'm Zachary Rothman. And I'm Melanie Cooksdorf. Back to you, Tracy. Thank you, Mel and Zach, for that fantastic review of Fuse that happened last Friday night at the Vancouver Art Gallery. And thanks also to Guillaume Clement, who gave the wonderful review of Scott, Scott McFarland's new exhibition at the... Uh, Vancouver Art Gallery. All right, I'm running out of time and I've still got lots of stuff to share with you. I was going to play more music, but um, let me just say that Bison is playing on Halloween night with uh, Black Mountain at, um, where are they playing? At the rickshaw. So head on down and see them. I was going to play some Earthbound from Bison, but I don't have time because I want to get Melanie's review of Provincial Essays, which was on at the Colch last week. So here's Melanie Cooksdorf on uh, on Provincial Essays, which was a dance performance at the Colch. And then I'm going to hit you with some Ryan Gladstone to end off the show. So I hope to say goodbye to you before the end. But here's some more content from our wonderful artsy community here in Vancouver. Go. 
Hello, Arts Report listeners. It's Melanie Cookstorf, your resident dance critic. I went to the Kulch for the first time after it had been renovated, and I'm really impressed. I performed there several years ago, and we had to share the bathroom with the audience, and the green room was tiny, tiny, tiny. We didn't have enough room, really, to get dressed, never mind stretch and stuff. You can understand it was never meant to be a stage, it was a church. So now they've redone the whole thing, but they've kept the feeling of the cult, which is the important part. And now there's the balcony, which is still really beautiful, but it doesn't have pillars, so you don't have pillars in your sight lines. And the seating now on the floor is raked, so there's you can actually see the stage, so it's on an angle rather than being flat. So I was impressed. And quite happy to be able to go to the cult and see the stage properly. I went to see Lola McLaughlin's Provincial Essays. Lola McLaughlin, also I should tell you, a few years ago, 2003 actually, I worked for her for a summer and doing archiving of all her past work. And she is lovely. We, uh, just quite the character. We went for lunch once at the Elbow Room where they insult you and it was pretty weird to be having a professional lunch with, while they're insulting you left and right. But that was just, you know, the kind of thing that Lola liked to do. She was a dancer, used to sing in a punk band, and then in the last few years she'd been quite sick with cancer, and we thought she'd licked it, but then this year, in the spring, she died. And so this piece has been remounted by Susan Elliott in memory of Lola. So it was her last work, and she did finish it. It was performed before she died. And, you know, it really was a beautiful way to say goodbye. I wrote these notes in the dark as I was watching. Sincerity without kitsch. Beauty without certainty. Lola had this great sense of humor that pervaded the work. The piece for five dancers started with little vignettes. Little movements that had names. Little stories, like branch with fingers or baby bird slipping on ice, that sort of thing. And they're pretty funny, but they would recur throughout the piece and then actually became kind of beautiful when they were mixed together. And it really was like the word that I hate as a dancer because everyone's like, oh, you do interpretive dance, which means I dance like a tree, which, you know, I don't actually do. But here, Lola took that and let things be interpretive and then took them so much deeper than that and let it be funny and beautiful at the same time. And the piece was 70 minutes long, 7-0, which is long for a dance piece, especially without intermission. And for once, I didn't actually think it was too long. And I think what I like about dance is when it stays simple and you can see things happening over and over again. And what was once a flash and then becomes a pattern, it creates meaning and a sort of greater truth that other arts can't really do. And I think that's the beauty of dance, and I think that's what was captured in this piece, Provincial Essays. It's with sadness that I say that I think this might have been one of Lola's best works, having actually seen most of hers, albeit on video in a basement archiving. But this was really one of her best pieces, and it's sad that she had to go already before she could keep giving us more beauty. So I just want to say thanks, Lola, for CITR. This is Melanie Cookstorf.
Thank you, Melanie, for that review. It was wonderful. And Melanie's heading out to see the Dance House series. It's opening up next week, and it should be really exciting. They've got professional dancers from around the world coming to Vancouver, putting on amazing shows that uh, I'm really looking forward to. I know all the dancers in Vancouver are looking forward to as well. So I look forward to hearing more from Melanie about Dance House. But before that, this Friday, October 30th, and and Saturday, October 31st, at Performance Works on Granville Island, there will be... hosting a Halloween event like no other. Part theater festival, part art gallery, part Halloween party, part performance creation competition. It's Here Be Monsters 4, and it promises to be a Frankenstein of a good time. Here Be Monsters brings Vancouver's maddest theater artists together to chart the unknown waters of time-pressurized creation and risk-taking performance. The event is organized by Ryan Gladstone, who is the founder and artistic director of Monster Theater, a man who has co-written produced and acted in all of the month at of the monster shows thus far earlier today i reached ryan over the phone and here is our conversation so ryan can you tell me what is here be monsters for and what should people be looking forward to this weekend on granville island at performance works sure here be monsters is actually our fourth year of producing festivals and it's uh, a collective of artists that are uh, i guess trying our hand at producing but um so this year, the whole festival is focused on um, on one aspect, which is uh, theater under the gun, which mm. is actually in its eleventh year, uh, and it's our we've been running it uh, in conjunction with our festival for four years. But uh, yeah, so this year, so basically, what it is is uh, we have ten different theater companies that uh, we give them inspiration packages. Uh, we're giving the first ones out tonight, actually, in a couple hours. Excellent. And, um, and they get 48 hours to basically create, write, produce a play. Mm. And then uh, they go up on Friday and Saturday nights, uh, 30th and 31st, and it's going to be so much fun. It's always just uh, full of incredible energy and so much fun. So, Is it yeah. a, a judged competition? Is, is, it, is the point to, for some, one theatre company to win something? Or is it just a, a, a whole group of people getting together and seeing how creative they can be? Yeah, no, everyone wins. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we, we've had a few years in past where our festival was longer, where we did um, uh, sort of like holdovers. So there were, the audience voted on their favorite one each night, and, and that show got to come back uh, and, and go again. But mm-hmm. um, not this year. This year, yeah, every, everyone wins. It's just uh, just fun to be there and soak up the, uh, the energy of the, the young companies. And actually, this year, we have some people. Uh, one of the companies, I think, has actually been in Theater Under the Gun like every single year, hmm. you know, so there's lots of lots of old vests this time around, which is fun. So are all the companies from Vancouver originally? Like, who are the people who are going to be involved? Hmm. Um, uh, is there anyone who's from Vancouver originally? I'm, I'm not sure about that. I know that you are originally <laughs> from, that you at least did some of your schooling out in Alberta, so... Yeah, I'm born and raised in Alberta, and me and my brother actually are, uh, are two of the main members of Here Be Monsters, and uh, yeah, we're from Alberta. But um, uh, most, yeah, most of them are, are actually uh, are Vancouver companies. Okay, and can you give us a sense of what kind of um, what was in the inspiration packages that you sent out in previous years? What kind of things will people be receiving in order to create these new works? Um, God, yeah, it's to- it's so very so much. Um, uh, one of the fun things that we've done before and we're doing again this year is that the other companies have to bring a prop. Oh. And then we hand those out. So, so we have no idea what those entail. And in, in fact, 
one one year somebody brought like a jar full of uh what appeared to be feces oh uh, <laughs> somebody i mean there's been uh somebody had a, a full a full size working motorcycle once oh my um, gosh uh yeah all sorts of stuff so um so there's that uh this year we have uh, a stage direction Mm-hmm. So that we give them a you know a random stage direction that they have to incorporate uh, a sound effect. Right. <clears throat> In the past, we we one of the things we did that was fun was a uh, a lighting cue. Oh. So they got one specific light or you know state that they had to incorporate into their their play at some point. So and how long um, is each yeah. play? Uh, about fifteen minutes, but uh, depends. I mean, God, sometimes they go long. Mm-hmm. And uh, some some of them are short, but um, depends on the inspiration. And because it's such a limited time, you uh, you often don't have a lot of, of uh, chance to run through it and find out how long it really is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, There's definitely an element of the uh, of surprise and of of improv in all of yeah. this. It sounds sure. I mean, to the companies as well as to the audience. Mm-hmm. They're surprised, <laughs> and, and, and stuff works that you didn't think was going to work, and uh, and uh, I mean the there's just so much excitement in the audience too that it's uh, it's one of the most fun places to perform because they know you're you're just you you just wrote this last night or mm-hmm. you know I was involved in a group once performing in the festival where um we wrote our play and we kind of rehearsed it and this was like towards you know we were about thirty hours into the forty eight hour process. And then we were kind of like, uh, I don't know. It's all right. What else could we do? And we scrapped everything that we had done. Oh, my and gosh. And totally rewrote it, you know, and it turned out to be, you know, one of the best uh, one of the best ones hmm. I've ever been involved with. It's totally hilarious. I, I often wonder what it what it is about limited amounts of times. I mean, perhaps it's it, it journalists say it all the time, and lots of artists say it that there is yeah. no time like the last minute to get yeah. um, really creative ideas. What is it about that rushed sense or that that limited amount of times that really brings out um, people's best in terms of creativity or or boundary bending? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, one thing is that people people say yes. You don't have time to uh, like we always say. Um, you know, they're not waiting around for a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oasis by Diana Hartog. The sound of each other rustling, the easy exchange through the air of insects and birds. Noon into the self, mercury shimmers in the wind-houseled palms. Near they loom as mammoths skirted with brown, drowned, drooping layers of years vulnerable to a dropped match, a stray spark catching the imagination where a trunk issues blackened and shorn. In the hallowed clearing, palms towering in a shaggy ring, recurs the wedding of place and time attended by a sand beetle and mourned by the wind, which foresees with a rustle of taffeta the early death of the bride. With evening, what has died is the wind. On the bluff, every creosote bush has gathered to a nucleus its quail for the night, all one can safely know. The birds doze in circles, facing out, ready to scatter in overlapping rings at the slightest mention. Drifting, the high moon keeps its distance, holds it close as I would be held. Let me guess, in a pool half hidden by reeds floats another moon, gilded, tremulous from the glide of a water spider. Am I close? Am I even warm?
Good evening, everyone. My name is JC Peters, a little bit of lovely feathers in the background for you. Uh, it's Wednesday evening, October 28th. Um, this is another episode of Audio Text, your Canadian writing show. Um, I realize I probably should have done something for Halloween today, uh, which is coming up on Saturday, obviously, but uh, I'm not, let's say, because everyone else is and I'm trying to be original. Also because um, coming up tomorrow night, there's going to be a very special slam happening. Uh, it's the Women's Invitational Slam happening at the Cottage Bistro, so I'm going to be showcasing some of the women who are going to be involved in that particular show. Um, but before we get to all that good stuff, what I like to call the meat of the show, um, a few listings for you um, for things that you'd like to go and see around this city, uh, this beautiful city of Vancouver. So happening tonight, later tonight, as soon as you finish listening to the show, you can